You are listening to the In Context podcast. Hello and welcome to another edition of the In Context podcast. Today I have with me Shane Goodyear. How are you doing, Shane? I'm all right, thank you, mate. Uh, thanks for coming on. I also have Johnny Prime. How are you doing, Johnny? I'm fine, thanks, Ian. Nice to see you. Yeah, good to see you too. Nice haircut, mate, joining the gang. I just want to be like you. <laughs> awesome. Johnny, while you're on, can you just explain a little bit about who you are and what you do? Um, yeah, okay. I'm Johnny Prime. I was privileged to serve in a church in Enfield, North London, as a pastor for 24 years. But for the last three years, I, I, I've been asked to work as the pastoral ministries director of the FIEC, which basically means my job is trying to encourage pastors and church leaders to keep going wherever they're serving Jesus uh, and to, to, to grow in their um, character and in their giftedness in serving local church. And you're really, really good at that job, Johnny, because you've encouraged me over years. So you can give me that fiver for that uh, compliment. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, have it's been great. It was nice to have you come and visit me and my wife, and uh, go for a Nando's and have a chat. That was really encouraging. It's uh, your dog that scared me, though. It was the dog. The dog that scared me. You haven't seen the new one. If you didn't like the last one, you won't like this one. <laughs> Normally it's my kids that scare people, but it's uh, nice to have the dogs scare people for a change. And we also have Shane Goodyear. How are you doing, mate? Can you explain a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, of course. My name's Shane. Um, I'm married with two kids and one on the way, so that's free. Um, uh, so praise God for that. And I am a church-detached missionary with London City Mission with Hope Church Vauxhall. And I, what we seek to do is reach out to the local community which is a council estate called the Vauxhall Gardens Estate. And I work with members of Hope Church Vauxhall and the eldership in basically reaching out the gospel of Jesus Christ to this community. Awesome. Nice one. So me and you go way back. I know quite a bit about you. Uh, you know quite a bit about me. And uh, that's why I wanted you and Johnny to come on, because I remember seeing a photograph on Twitter well, several years ago and uh, a church planter up in Scotland had put a photograph of uh, four generations of his family. There was his, his granddad, who had been a pastor uh, and a believer, his dad, who was a believer, himself, who was a church planter and a believer, and his little boy. And I, I get emotional just thinking about it, but that is that to come from a, uh, to be that little boy who had three generations of, of uh, godly men in his life was something that I, I've dreamt of and would love to have my, for myself. But unfortunately, I can't have that. I'm a first-generation Christian. But it's something that I pray for for my children and my grandchildren to have that godly influence in their life. And the, the first-generation Christian in that photograph happened to be Johnny's dad. So I, I, I've invited Johnny on just to share a little bit. What was it like to be brought up by a, a, a dad who loved the Lord? Well, I think the first thing I'd say, though, is that my dad was the first generation. So his parents were unbelievers mm. and my mum's parents were unbelievers. And both my mum and dad were converted as teenagers in the same local church in what would be considered probably a deprived area uh, of London. And so that was where they they grew up um, post-war and post-war London. But they were both converted from nowhere, as it were, their stories. And so they, they learned what it was to be Christian parents 
um, by the example of other Christian parents. Now, they both came from happy homes, although my mum would tell stories about her. Her dad got drunk every Friday night. He was a postie and uh, he would basically spend his money in the in the pub on, on Friday night and you didn't speak to him on a Friday night. I never knew him. He died just after I was born. But all I'm saying is that was their background. So they were first generation, but God was at work in their lives. They loved the Lord Jesus. And I think then as I grew up with both mum and dad thinking about what Proverbs talks about, both the influence of father and mother, um, they never thrust Jesus down our throats, but they lived Jesus out in front of us. And I think what, as I think about it, um, the Lord Jesus was just a natural part of their everyday conversation between themselves with us. And the other thing I think that made a big influence was us, that church family was our family. And so our home was always full of other people from church. So there wasn't kind of a massive demarcation between church life and home life. They kind of all were together. And in our heads, well, folk from church were our family. And that was even before I was converted myself, you know, in terms of because it wasn't actually till I was in my early teens that I think I genuinely came to know the Lord Jesus. But actually, there, there was no division in mum and dad's life. Does that make sense? Yeah. And 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 so they they incorporate. We were involved in all that they were doing in um what was when I was little in a um a very ordinary suburb suburb of South London, um uh, called West Norwood. And um yeah, and then we moved to Scotland when I was seven. But no, I I think it's you know where Paul talks about we shared not only the word of God but our lives as well. Well, that's what my mum and dad, by God's grace, did. But it wasn't a fake godliness. It was, it was real. If if I'm making sense in saying that. Yeah, yeah. No, definitely. And again, awesome to hear that your mum and dad were first generation Christians. That gives me some hope for uh, the future generations of the Williamson <laughs> clan. Uh, probably the same for you as well, Shane. But you had quite a, a, a different upbringing. Then, yeah, what was your what was your upbringing like, brother? Yeah, so um, basically, my upbringing was is that um, so my mum and dad got together, um, uh, had me, and my dad left the family home when I was about two, mm. um, and he stayed in my life for about six months to a year, and when I was three years old, something happened between my mum and dad, which led to my mum in the middle of the night leaving and putting herself homeless. Um, with me as a three-year-old and moving to the other side of London. So I was originally born actually where I minister in now, actually. I was originally born in Battersea, but my mum left in the middle of the night and moved closer towards Feltham and Hounslow. And we lived around a friend's house for about six months. And then we were in um, some form of like halfway house accommodation before they put you in a council home. Um, so this was between the ages of three and five. And then at five years old, um, my mum got a council house in Hounslow. Um, and so I was just brought up with my mum and she met another man who was my uh, brother's dad. Um, and he was around for a bit, but then he left. Um, so he left when I was about six or seven. So my mum had <clears throat> a, a very difficult time of bringing up two vibrant young boys by herself. And she did a really good job, may I say, in playing both the mother and the father. Um, 
and my father never got back in contact with me and I only got back in contact with my father last March two weeks before the lockdown Shane can I ask you a question if I ask you a question does so when you read in the Bible of God being a father when yeah. you read in the Bible of how as we trust the Lord Jesus, we're in God's family and God is our perfect father. How does what you've experienced in your own life impact how you read that? Because I obviously read that thinking, okay, dad to me was, well, I have to be honest, he was my hero as a kid because yeah, yeah. that was the way it was. Yeah. But for you, that would have been very different. Yeah, so I think in a couple of ways, how I was saved, was, um, I had one of those what people call uh, I don't want to call it an extraordinary conversion, but a kind of eureka moment. Someone preached the gospel and my scales left my eyes. And you know when Martin Luther said when he was reading Romans, it's like the gates of heaven opened up to him when he realised what justification by faith alone was. That kind of happened to me <laughs> when someone preached the gospel at me. So my eyes opened and I just saw this loving Lord Jesus who died for me and rose again. But then as I grew as a Christian, so I've been a Christian 15 years now, I really started to understand the father heart of God by how God used to treat his people in scripture. Because I came from a bit of a difficult background, not by my mum's making, but by my own making, where I got in a lot of trouble with the police and stuff and was up to no good. And so I had a lot of baggage of sin in my life, sin I had done to others and what sin had been done to me. And as Jesus Christ forgave me for that sin, I really started understanding when the scripture to speak about God being like a, a hen who'd long to gather his chicks under the wings and mm -hmm. stuff like that. And real stuff like Psalm 103, where God is compassionate and gracious. And I think as I started to understand the Lord more through the scriptures and understand what actually Jesus's death and resurrection was for me, that he paid all my sin, past, present and future. And he loves me as an adopted son. God the Father loved me so much that he sent his son to die for me. And um, another thing that really hit me was actually um, learning Reformed theology. So this, this might sound funny. So I was saved into New Life Church, Roehampton, which is Duncan Forbes' church. And some of the first things I was taught was to read the Bible, but I was also taught around that Reformed theology and about election and predestination now i've i've been to university now because by god's grace god got me off to where i was living before got me back into education and i went to university and what i found at university amongst more shall we say professional middle class christians was this hesitation about election and predestination what i found for myself and genuinely being ministering on council estates for eight years is not a hesitation yeah. because understanding that god the father and god the son some time in eternity past, decided to choose, God the Father decided to choose Shane Goodyear for his son to die for. It's still something I'm processing 15 years on. So to me, the doctrine of predestination and the doctrine of election, it's not God being unfair. It's God saying, wow, he chose me as a son. He chose this drug addict. He chose this violent. Um, horrible person who was evil to people who was no good in the world's eyes and before the foundation of the world knew what I was going to do 
God the Father said, I'm going to love Shane Goodyear and send my son to die for him. And that's had a massive impact. Even now, 15 years on, that's had a massive impact on me. And I've seen it have a massive impact on other people in the States as well. Yeah. Sorry, this might not be what Ian wants to talk about in this podcast. <laughs> but I think that what's then interesting, having been brought up in a godly home where the Lord Jesus was loved and honoured, um, and where the truths you've just talked about were loved and honoured and taught, um, my recognition, and then what I've thought about our kids, who by God's grace are all professing faith in the Lord Jesus, is, is to recognise that it's as much a miracle for a kid brought up in a gospel home to become a Christian as a kid who is not in a gospel home, and that the same truth that you've described about God's eternal election and his sovereign choice that is not to do with my goodness, but is totally down to his grace, it's just the same, it's just as wonderful. Amen. But what then often happens is that, and this would be my experience, that I think I grew up a little Pharisee. And that's despite having parents who would have hated the thought that their children were growing up little Pharisees. But the problem I think for children in Christian homes is that you can you can conform to a form of godliness. So I was preaching last week on Philippians 3. And, you know, when Paul talks about, you know, I came from a good family and I kept all the rules and as to righteousness, I was a Pharisee. That was me as a kid growing up. You know, I, I knew the gospel. I could quote it all. I, I, I was a real rule keeper. I wasn't a rebel in a big way, although I had my, you know, I had my moments, obviously. But what happened to me was it was the, the it was hearing a sermon on the tax collector and a Pharisee, this Pharisee, and kind of my eyes being open to, I was like the Pharisee in my heart, but needed to come to God like the tax collector and say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And then to hear, and my dad was the preacher, but I still remember my dad saying, and God can have mercy on you because Jesus died for you. And that that's, so if you come to God and say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner, he will because of the work of Jesus on the cross. And that was like eye-opening to me. And so, so as you th we think about the kids of any generation, whether it's first or second generation or third generation believers, it's a sovereign work of God that brings the conviction of sin that enables them a sinner to cry out god have mercy on me a sinner amen does that make sense so i yeah. think we that's an important perspective to remember as we think about bringing up our children that it's a miracle of sovereign grace if any individual comes to faith in jesus amen brother yeah amen. And, I, and i think that's that realization is why every night since my children have been born, I've prayed for their salvation, even after the professed <laughs> faith. <laughs> prayed for their souls daily. It's just so so important to me. But just we're just, about to have our first grandchild. Awesome. Someone gave us a Amen, someone gave us a book on how to bring up how to be a good grandparent, and it's a great gospel book. But it basically says, pray for the souls of your grandchildren and make sure that you're one of the people who always speaks to them of Jesus. And it's, that's, that's been a real challenge to me. Hmm. Sorry, Ian. Yeah, no, I was, I was just going to say, but just, just going back a, a few moments when you mentioned to Shane about how did he see God the Father? I think another, 
another, I don't know if it's a misconception, some people may feel this way, but for me, having a dad who'd left or had rejected me and seeing other absent fathers or violent dads in my community didn't make me see God as a, a violent man or, or a bad dad because all, every, every person I saw who was a bad dad or a negative role model just reminded me of how important it was to have a good dad. So <laughs> the fact that my dad wasn't there meant I, I knew what he should have been there when he lied to me, I knew that he shouldn't have lied to me. So these negative things just reinforced what a good dad would be like. So when I heard that God was a perfect father, he had all the attributes that I'd been longing for as a child in an earthly father. So for me to hear that God who was a father was great excitement. It was Psalm 68 verse 5, which helped me come to faith, which where God he speaks as he is a father to the fatherless and a defender of widows. The only problem I had, which was probably, I don't know, different to shame, was I, I came to God the Father as a victim, looking for someone to comfort me, which he does. And, and he does, like, gather his chicks under his wings like that hen. But it wasn't until I realised that I was a filthy scumbag that, <laughs> that I, and I needed to repent. So that was my struggle with salvation was I, I knew I needed a saviour, but I didn't really know what I needed a saviour from. So it was knowing that I wasn't a victim, that I was a perpetrator, that I was a, a sinner and I needed repentance uh, and, and forgiveness. That, that was what was when the penny dropped for me. But I guess the, the first part of what you described was part of God's sovereign grace working in you, yeah. but actually the attractiveness of how God reveals himself as a father to the fatherless mm. was actually a first step to you then engaging with him, which then leads, <clears throat> do you see what I mean? So our belief in election means God's at work in us um, before we're aware of it. And he's also at work in us before we, as it were, cross the line from darkness to light and trust. I think that's something that we have to remember. Mm. Um, yeah. Um, and I wonder, too, that with kids who are secure in a father's love, like your girls are of you, Ian, you know, they're secure in the fact that you love them. It may well be that um, that isn't an issue. That, that's almost something about God they then take for granted. Mm. But when it, it becomes real, when actually the spirit brings conviction of sin that makes them cry out in desperation to Jesus. So it's... <laughs> um, yeah. Unfortunately, Johnny, I think my kids, I think, I think I probably show repentance more than I show. God. <laughs> Your kids love you, brother. I know they do. Yeah. So, so they, 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 they obviously know the loved and that, but I think what, because we were first generation Christians, my wife and I, and we came together with a lot of baggage, especially my eldest child, they have, they have seen that the gospel is real, not be, you mentioned this earlier as well. It wasn't like a nice gospel home. It was the reality of the gospel. And one of the realities of the gospel is that me and my wife get things wrong on a daily basis. So instead of trying to hide that under the carpet, we've, we've demonstrated repentance publicly to the, to the children when we've done something wrong. So even that, what I saw is really negative. I've, 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 God has used for his glory and for the benefit of my children. But also, sorry. No, it's okay. Sorry. I was just going to say, it also encourages me to say to my girls, that's why you need to marry a godly middle-class man. <laughs> the same. But I, th I think that's right. Again, you see, I think that's right. That, And this is not telling tales, but 
I, I, I saw my mum and dad make up if they'd had a disagreement. Yeah. Um, that was as significant to us as the, you know, so they did have disagreements, but we saw the reality of what seeking and giving forgiveness is about mm -hmm. in the context of a relationship. And I think that's really important. I think the mistake we make is thinking the best witness is a perfect life. Whereas actually the best witness is sinners in the state of sanctification who are honest that they're not, we have not yet attained Philippians 3, but we are trusting Jesus and pressing on towards the goal. Do, do, and I think that's, um, that's generally about, I, when I was a lawyer, um, I think one of the best opportunities I had for witness was when I was in a colleague's room and I knocked over a pile of files and I almost said a word I shouldn't have said. <laughs> and he immediately pricked up his ears and said, did you almost say what I'm going to say? And actually it led to one of the best gospel conversations I ever had with him because I got to talk about sin and about the fact that because you're a Christian doesn't mean you're perfect and so on and so on. So, yeah. We're going way off your topic here. You better <laughs> back online. It's, it's all, all related, isn't it? And I'm sure we'll get back to uh, wisdom at, at some point. But this this is why I like the podcast. This I don't want to uh, orchestrate a conversation about something I want to hear. It's, it's interesting to hear about what you found is important in your life, in your walk with Jesus, in, in your home life. And, and Shane, how does that encourage you hearing hearing about Johnny's upbringing uh, and my marriage in, in yours, because you've only been married a few years. Five years. So I've been married five years and I've got a three-year-old, um, a one-year-old who's coming up to two in April and Jazz is uh, pregnant again, 10 weeks. So um, I feel really blessed. I think how it encourages me is that already I've seen the difficulties and the blessings of being a father. Um, and the patience you need to be a father. And what I'm hearing from you guys is this patience that um, Johnny's parents uh, showed that you have to show at times. Um, and I think it can be very easy because I was brought up without a father. I've sensed myself sometimes with my own kids when they're being a bit, you know how three two-year-olds are. They're being a bit like that. I can sort of like drop off and try and ignore them and go into my own world. But then the Holy Spirit really brings back to me is that, no, maybe I should be inputting into my kids at the moment. Maybe they need me to be playing with them. Maybe they need me to be encouraging them. Maybe they need me to be disciplining them. And I think what I'm hearing from you guys is that I'm, I'm hearing that seems to very, very much be a part of Christian parenting. That father being an encouragement, a loving encouragement, encouraging his children, but also in that, a loving discipline as well. And also admitting when you've got it wrong. So already to my three-year-old son, I think I've apologised about a thousand times and he's only three years old. Do you know what I mean? Because I've made mistakes as a parent, which I know are mistakes. It's because the Holy Spirit put it on my heart. But I've got a really godly wife as well, who is a second generation convert. So her parents, um, her dad's a pastor of a church in Brighton and uh, her mum's a Christian as well. So she's been brought up by Christian parents. So actually, there's a lot of here where I'm reading in scriptures, trying to apply it, and then looking at how my wife parents is because she had godly parents, and then bringing it all together. But the big thing that I'm getting from this is patience, in, 
loving patience and endurance with encouragement towards your children and love and discipline as well and showing your honest mistakes as well and being honest about it, you know and i think that's some of the big things i'm getting at the moment but and what about as you found how difficult it is to be a father and not even a father just being a husband <laughs> as a christian yeah the holy spirit has that helped you come to terms with being brought up in a fatherless family and has it helped with forgiveness? Great question. So to be honest, I'll be, I'll be honest here. So I've actually been in Christian counselling for about five, six, seven years. Um, and a lot of it is dealing with trying to apply the scriptures to some things that happened in my past and so forth. Um, and what I found is, is that I was very much affect by, affected by my father's absence. Mm. For his absence from the age of two and a half, three, to 34 affected how I interpreted the world. So mm. I interpret the world, and which I'm partly true in this, on being a very dangerous place. And there's there's a truth in that. But what I think a god godly parents, especially a godly father towards a young boy, can do is give that young child grounding mm. to deal with that dangerous world. And that's obviously what we were missing. Mm. And so what what we tend to we tend to learn to stick up for ourselves, fight for ourselves and gather people around us when we're growing up without fathers to help us fight this um, dangerous world. But as a Christian now, I've got a real opportunity as a Christian parent. And this is one of the keys that I'm asking the Holy Spirit to give me of teaching my own children to have that grounding in the gospel to deal with this dangerous world and the circumstances that will come to them. So. And, I, and I've been spending years with other godly brothers and sisters as they've been talking to me in my life. Um, and the Holy Spirit's been talking, talking to me, trying to really deal with is that the world is dangerous, but I have God with me. Mm. Um, and I have the church with me and I have other brothers and sisters. Now, having to translate that into my children. Yes, children, the world is dangerous. You've got sin in your hearts. There's sin outside the world. And the world is a dangerous place. But Jesus is with you and I am with you too. And it's my job to teach you how to live in this dangerous world for God's glory, where you don't always have to be looking over your shoulder 24-7 and thinking out of a situation, the worst can happen. So I don't know if you found this in. You said I'm allowed to ask you questions. <laughs> but I found is that guys from estates who, so I'm talking about specifically men here, mm. who were brought up without fathers and then become Christians, or might not even become Christians, we, 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 we tend to explode a situation do you know what i mean by that so something will happen and it becomes a massive deal when the worst things in the world could happen nuclear war is going to happen do, do, you, do you see what i mean and what i found with people who were brought up by godly fathers they've learned to deal with those difficult situations in life in a much more well-grounded way does that make sense what i've just asked you what do you think about that because as i've been thinking about through this and how to teach my children and how to bring them up in a godly way and also, Jonathan, what do you think about this? There, sense of, there tends to be a grounding that a lot of people who are brought up with good fathers tend to have to deal with this stuff than a lot of people who weren't brought up with fathers. Yeah, so, so I suffer from hypervigilance. We can walk anywhere, and you think I was like a bodyguard for Prince Charles or something. <laughs> As soon as I've sat down, I know what everyone's wearing, what they're eating for the dinner. If we're in a restaurant, I know all the exits. And, and, I, and I'm ready for a terrorist attack or uh, a bank raid or anything. I'm constantly living a life of, of self-protection. And that transferred into my family. My biggest idol now is my family. I grew up uh, 
just I grew up wanting a family. I get emotional thinking about it, but mm. this is the kind of effect it has on you. That that all I ever wanted was to be part of a normal family. So when my dream comes true, where I'm married now, I've got children, that becomes such an obstacle to me with my faith. But also it becomes an obstacle to my family's faith because I, I prided myself on never letting anything harm my family, especially my children. And, and I used my strength and my size and, and my attitude to protect them. when what they needed to feel safe in wasn't my arms, but in the arms of God. Amen. Yeah. For me, I've been the biggest obstacle to their Christian growth and trust in God because I've tried to get them to feel safe in me rather than in the gospel. <laughs> so I think that's a problem for all of us who, who grow up wanting children because we were fatherless to be the dad that we never had. <laughs> um, the worst thing for me was when I found out that my second child was going to be a girl and I was really disappointed because... I thought it was going to be a boy uh, uh, and I was going to do uh, camping with this boy and I was going to teach him to catch newts and tadpoles and we were going to go and do all the things that I dreamt of that my dad would have done with me. And then I'm saying all these things to my wife getting upset and she was like, we'll try again, we'll try again. And this, the, our second child was a miracle because of, of, of medical problems that we couldn't try again because this was our last shot, you know, I, 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 another child. And then, so she's getting really upset trying to comfort me. And then I start laughing. And she was like, what, what, what are you laughing at? <laughs> You've got a screw loose. And I was like, my son could never heal me. I thought I was going to get healing from a son. The only son that can heal me is God's. Amen. And it was a realization that the father-son relationship, the only father-son relationship that can heal anyone is the relationship between God the Son and God the Father. And that did something to, to help me on that level, but the fear has been so ingrained that it, it, it's difficult to deal with. And I, I've just been away for a few days then and just the thought of leaving my family for a few days, who's going to look after them? What used to offend me was I'd look at... <laughs> growing up on a council estate, the bigger the muscles, the harder the punch is secure. <laughs> that was it. And I used to look at my friends whose dads were like four stone ringing wet, so secure. They never feared anything. They had so much confidence. And I used to think, who's going to look after you? Yeah, but yeah. their dad was there. Their dad was present. And that security comes from the love of the father, not the size of the father. Yeah, yeah. And if we can understand that, not only do we have the biggest father in the world, yeah. <laughs> but he has the biggest love in the world. That is where our security needs to come from Amen. and I've probably gone off track even more than you Johnny <laughs> probably learned it from you <laughs> so I, going back then to the um, I, I think that as I think back to my childhood I think you're right there was a bedrock of confidence in the loving providence of God that again wasn't necessarily taught as a theological concept but was lived out as a as a theological truth and then that was shown i mean yeah mum and dad did do family prayers and things with us and mum prayed with us every night dad was always out at meetings but mum prayed with us before we went to bed and things but the more important thing was something happened in family life and the immediate reaction we were why don't we pray about it and so the kind of 
the assumption in life was when things happen, God is in control. And what do you do? You run to him and he's the one who you trust in whatever happens. And I think, Shane, that's probably what you're describing, that kind of yeah, yeah. bedrock, which is so there's this un it's just kind of it's just always was there. So in my life, I would say that has always been there. And therefore, that does affect how you react to crises. And I think by God's grace, that would also be true of our three girls. We have three girls, Ian, but they can all spin past a rugby ball, which is important, you know. But um, uh, but but that that I think is true. Um, I think I think what what I'd say, which you might not realise, but it might happen to your kids, is that having had by God's grace such good parents. The fear for me as a parent is that I won't live up to that good standard of my dad. And that in itself is a danger because then you're setting that as almost your idol rather than saying, Lord, you will enable us to be the parents we ought to be. And I'm the, the I, I'm one of four. I'm the third out of four. Uh, my youngest sister died um, fairly young. Um, but um, looking at my big sister and my big brother, who I think are brilliant and are godly, and then looking at their parenting, because they got married quite a few years before uh, we did, I always thought I can never live up to them because they seem to be doing parenting so well. And I'm, boy, we're making a real mess of this. And you forget that everyone's family life is a mess, really, because we're sinners. And I look at our three girls now that they've grown up and hear them talk and hear their godly attitudes and all the rest, I'm going, boy, that didn't come from us. That is definitely God's grace. Amen. And I think that is that is important to remember. And, and if I can share for you guys, I don't know if this is helpful, but the best advice we got about parenting, which I think is biblical, and then as I reflect on it, it's what I saw in my mum and dad, was that actually the thing kids need most of all is the security of mum and dad's love for one another, not their love for them. So in other words, the security of children actually comes from the security of mum and dad's love. Mm. Whereas I think you you talked about, I mean, I think kids becoming our idols kind of thing, Ian, you were touching on that. And I think that's a real danger for us all. But then what tends to happen is we say, our biggest job in the world is to love our kids, mm. forgetting actually that it's his mum and dad love one another, that kids know security. And if I'm loving my wife as Christ loved the church, I'm giving a good model to my daughters as to what marriage is about. But their security comes from us. So I, I encourage men and say to them, look, you've got to really devote in your love to your wife in a Christ-like love for them, because that is what will help your kids' security. Mm. Um, because I think about it, I knew my dad loved my mom and I knew my mom loved my dad. And I saw them forgiving one another, talking things through together and all the rest of it. I never doubted the security of their relationship, which I think is what gave us real security as kids. I, I don't know if that makes sense, but that would be. Yeah. Um, can I say one other thing? My favorite verse in the scripture about parenting is in Deuteronomy 6. And again, I think I saw this in my parents, where it talks about, talk about these things as you walk along the road, as you sit at home, da, 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 da. But it's not talking about formal teaching occasions. It's talking about walking through life and talking to your kids about the Lord as you walk through life. And again, 
the best things I remember about being a kid when I was with my dad on his own and got to go with him in the car somewhere or go for a walk with him on my own or he walked me to school on my own. They're the bits I remember. And with our kids, what we tried to do was we gave them daddy time, which was we had three, we have three kids. I would take one of them out for an hour or so to the, you know, to the swings or whatever it was. And it was on those occasions that you had the best conversations with just one of them. And you need to make sure you did it with all of them because our kids are all different. They have different personalities. I remember my dad saying once, he said, I love my children equally, but I love them uniquely and distinctively as well. And, and as I think of my siblings, it, it, we all relate related to my dad in different ways but all equally sure of his and my mum's love for us completely. And I think that's just important to remember as well uh, in parenting. There's the, if we can go back to both of those things, but firstly, the first one about being secure in our parents' love. Shane, this is probably the same for you, but for me, uh, sex was learned from pornography. Love was displayed by how often the woman had sex with you. That was, we. I grew up wanting to be loved, but I had a need for it. I didn't know how to express it, what it meant, what it was. It definitely wasn't sacrificial. It was sacrificial on the part of the person who loved me, but it was on the part of myself. I expected sacrifice, but I didn't think about sacrificing. Spending money was a sign of love. Buying clothes or perfume or taking on all of these. So for me, I, grew, I didn't even know how to shave. I had to teach myself how to shave. So my idea of love and sex and marriage was very skewered. Mm. Shane, yourself, for, for me, how have, you, how have you learned to love a wife and child and children as somebody who grew up with a world, first of all, a worldly view of love, but a bad, some un, ungodly parents, some unchristian parents have some wonderful secure marriages. Yeah. We didn't even have that, never mind a godly biblical perspective. Yeah. I think I'm still working it out, bro, because similar to you, um, the way that I experienced love, especially as a teenager, was who's got my back? Mm. And it was the sacrifice for me. So we used to do a lot of fights and all that. It'd get quite violent. And being in that quiet male-dominated youth culture, your love was shown as, that, is this guy going to smash this guy's head in for me? And are we going to work together on that? And so that was my idea of love. So there was a sacrifice in that, in a weird sort of way. So if someone stuck up for you, they are sacrificing themselves. But that's how love and loyalty was shown. Fast forward, becoming a Christian, coming out that lifestyle, living, living for Jesus, then getting married. This is a question I've been pondering for five years since I've been married. And I'm going to be honest, I'm, I don't think I'm that much of a great husband. Um, I would do probably a lot of outward stuff. So do the dishes where my wife needs to and so forth. But what I found earlier in my marriage is that I would listen to my wife then just give her heaps of advice. And that, and I think all men have done this at some point or another. And that doesn't work. And then I started to realise my wife sometimes just wants someone to speak to and someone to cuddle. Someone to rest assured in that You've got it sorted. You can sort this out. You don't have to tell me how you sort it out. Or do you know what I mean? So I think I'm learning how to love my wife 
I've only been married five years, but as the days go on, especially in particular to who my wife is, yeah. um, and and that could mean, so I know my wife just sometimes loves sitting up with me and talking. I would prefer to go and read a book or <laughs> smoke my vape out the window. You know what I mean? Like, literally. Um, uh, like, but, but so I need to sacrifice that and then... Uh, uh, and then but I enjoy talking to my wife and listening to my wife. Do you know what I mean? It's like, this is fun. Like, I enjoy it as well. So um, I know that's one thing of how I've learned to love her and still learning to love her. And also as well, I've learned that my wife is not impressed by me just buying her stuff. So early on in our marriage, I'd like to buy her some fancy stuff and go, here, darling. And I thought it'd be like the movies. Oh, you're so wonderful and beautiful. No, it's not that. She's more impressed and more if I show her love, if I get her a cup of coffee in the morning. That don't cost me a thing, does it? Do you know what I mean? Sod the hundred pound ring when you can just get her a cup of coffee in the morning. Um, and so I think that I'm learning how to love my wife as we go along. And we're learning when we don't love each other, especially me not loving my wife, to repent. But also sometimes that repentance is in front of the kids. Um, I hope that answers your question, but I'm still trying to work this out. It's because, like you say, I never really had anyone show me how to love a woman. So, uh, to, to elaborate on that question then, so, so for me, I'd love to have had someone like Johnny in my neighbourhood or in my church. How can we as churches, as, as godly men, help men in our position that are joining our churches so that we understand that love then? Yeah. What Great me? question. <laughs> uh, I, I, can, can I say I, if I can be honest about my dad would always say if I said that I hope you're always honest son but um, uh, is that I think sometimes in church life as church leaders we think well if I teach something on this then everyone will get it and I actually don't think that's right I think that was a mistake I often made Think, oh, I've, I've preached a sermon on that or I've had a talk on that I think actually that's where I mentioned it earlier, Paul's thing about we shared the gospel and our lives. Mm. And actually it's walk doing life with people um, and, and building relationships. So I think, you know, this would be true for me in my experience, guys who were good, just let me, there was one guy when I was growing up, right? When I was in my early twenties, was single, there was a guy in the church and he took me on holiday with him and his family in their caravan. You know, they're very two years I did it I you know he knew that was on my own he said come on holiday with us now hey that's a big ask to take someone on holiday with you and especially a caravan you know so you know and his wife and him, his, him and his wife were in a kind of bed two feet from me you know what I mean and this stinky young man with them but <laughs> the point is I learned a huge amount about parenting and about husband and wives love for one another and also having a generous heart towards others as a family just from being with them in that context and you think that that to me is the way you learn you learn as much by what you see and experience than by what and so when guys don't have experience so my son-in-law um he's about to become a daddy um he he comes from a home where dad left when he and his he was a twin he and his brother his dad left when he was a twin, you know, when they were born. Didn't want to know. Now, he still had a relationship with his dad. His dad hasn't worked all, you know, in his life. He's not, you know, so he hasn't had a role model of a present dad. When he first started coming to church as a teenager, he used to call me dad 
he stopped that when he started going out with my daughter. He said, Dad, but he used to come up to me every week, give me a hug and lift me up and say, hello, Dad. Because actually, I think for all of it, for the first time in his life, there was a an older bloke who took a genuine interest and love in him. Mm-hmm. Now, bless him, he's about to learn what it is to be a daddy. Um, and, um, uh, and hey, I hope that it won't because I've told him lots of things, but I hope it will be because as he's seen the way we react to his wife and to our other daughters and that, and also other role models he's got in church where he is, actually that will is what he'll say, I want to be like those guys. So I think he'll be very like what you've described, um, Ian and Shane. He'll be saying, hey, I didn't have this, but that's what I really want for my kiddie. I really, really want them to have the security that I see my wife's family had. Sorry, I'm getting, I'm becoming like you in him. I'm about to cry. <laughs> I feel really emotional about my son-in-law. Yeah. And in terms of the responsibility that he's going to suddenly have when he holds a little baby in his arms and says, this is our responsibility. Because I felt really scared when that happened to us. Mm. You know, whoa, just physically, it's scary, isn't it? But then spiritually, you feel, wow. Mm. Um, and And yet, Hey, I praise God that my wife is married to Courtney and, you know, God has brought him um, to Jesus and, um, and he's, he's, he's learning how to be a husband to my, my daughter. Um, yeah. It's awesome. It's, it's, it's funny because I think you just hearing about how I, I was very jealous of, of my father-in-law and, uh, probably some of the stuff that I used to do, I thought was weird. Seeing good dads, although I wanted one when I saw good dads, it used to make me feel sick and <laughs> it was strange. It, I look back, it was it, it was obviously jealousy and, and resentment, but it just used to be, why are you doing that? Why are you bothered? Why are you interfering? And it's only as years have gone by. My poor daughter's 19 year old and I'm trying to tell her how to order a taxi. I just like, but yeah, it's that love you have for that child until you lo- love a child. I don't suppose you can understand how much of a, a control freak a father could be. So yeah, I, I look back probably with regret to how I, w- I was maybe his office and, and 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 awkward with my father-in-law. He was a brilliant father-in-law and was a was a brilliant dad. But growing up without a dad has affected me in that way being jealous even jealous of my children for their love for the mom and for the grandparents and things like that so for me it goes beyond just having father issues those father issues impact all your other relationships even with my children so I remember again bearing a bit more than maybe I should but we'd 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 suffered four miscarriages prior to 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 Esther being born and uh, so all the way through the pregnancy I was fearing the worst Mm-hmm. And then when she was born, I was expecting her to, to have a disability or a, or, a, or a long-term illness. And then when I realised that wasn't happening, the fear went into cot death. I was constantly in. And because I was just so sure something bad was going to happen, again, because part of it, because of experience, but part of it because of idolatry. And it took me a long time to... I had a guard up with her. Yeah. And, and I didn't really enjoy the first... 18 months to two years of a life because I was just racked with fear that I might lose it. Did you suffer anything like that, Shane? Or is it just me who's, who needs help? <laughs> it's, it's funny, brother. No, for the last, so 
I would say the first year of my son's life, yeah. I was wrapped with fear, maybe even the first two years. And my thing I focused on that, this is going to sound really funny. Mm-hmm. I got really funny with him eating. Okay. I always thought he was going to choke. <laughs> like, and I was just like, well, how does a human being learn to eat? I couldn't get it. And I spent probably about two years not even being able to watch him eat. And when I was eating at the table with him, because as a family, one of the things me and Jazz want to do is <coughs> at the table together, because that's another big thing we've been, I never really had. Families gathering together around the tables. And I think that's a lot missing in our society at the moment. So me and Jess have implemented that. The problem was for the first two years of my son's life, I'm not looking at him because I'm just scared he's going to choke or something. But this is where I, I really, with those fears, and I still have certain fears as well. So for example, I live in central London on a council estate, but Lambeth Bridge is only five minutes away. And we go over Lambeth Bridge to get to St. James's Park, go and feed the ducks. I will not let my son walk in front of me over Lambridge Bridge because I've got this vision of someone just picking them up and throwing them over the bridge. Mm. And it's funny and it's interesting. And as I've spoke to people about this, it's like, where are these fears coming from? And I realise their fears is because, a bit like what you were saying, Ian, earlier, I've idolised a family mm. and I don't want people to take away my children from me and my wife from me. Because it's something that I've always desperately wanted. But this is where, so as I mentioned earlier, I've been in Christian counselling for a number of years where a Christian brother who's counselling me, really helping me through this, Mm. is to understand is that actually, I mean, these things can happen. Yeah, my son could choke on food. Yeah, someone could throw him over a bridge. But the issue is they're very unlikely to happen and God's in control anyway. Mm. Do you know what I mean? These fears, like how many people do you know have choked and died on food? Not many. So that's the first day. How many people do you know have chucked kids over a bridge? Not many. Do you know what I mean? I know we're all deep sinners, but you don't hear that many. But also coupled with that, I need to start, and this is where he really helped me actually, and my wife said a similar thing. Even now, even though God's put me as um, the father of my son and my daughter, Alfie and Hope, there's a sense that every day I've got to start teaching them to trust in God for themselves. And to trust in God as they live their lives and start becoming more and more independent of me and Jazz. Now, I know there are only three or two, so I'm not saying they should go out and get a job now. But that's, that was a very helpful way for me to sh- uh, see it and really helpful to ease some of those fears that I had. And now I can sit at the table and watch my son and my daughter eat 95% of their food. I'm still not I'm still not fully sure about lollipops, though. <laughs> I was eating a lollipop the other day and I went, sorry, Don, I've got to go into the other room. <laughs> can't handle eating that lollipop. But do you see that there was that fear there? And it just takes a gradual time of trusting in Jesus, getting my fears in perspective, with trusting Christ to realize that actually these fears are very much unfounded. God is in control, and it's God who has given me this family. It's God can take it away, but ultimately the Lord's in control. And I need to step back and teach my children to trust in God and to rely on him. And for them to slowly become more independent of me and Jazz. And that's really helped me to deal with a lot of my fears. But they're still lingering around, especially when we go over bridges. <laughs> and what about you, Johnny? You said in different ways, children can be an idol. I'll imagine in different ways you'll have fears for your children, do you? Oh, yeah. And I, I mean, I do Shane's massively 
I mean, I, I've never had a fear, fear of my children choking, but all the stuff about cot death, all the stuff about walking down the street and not wanting them to be in danger, about when they start, you know, going to secondary school for the first time and they have to, they go to school on their own rather than one of us taking them. Hey, I was, I was Mr. Protective, you know, I, I kind of, um, so I, I think what you're describing is all very true, actually. I think that kids nowadays don't have as much freedom as I did when I was a kid. I think we're more protective, of, you know, in the sense I, I would run riot, you know, we, we were, <laughs> we'd be out from nine o'clock in the morning until, you know, six o'clock at night and it was fine mum was you know as long as you're in for your meals it's okay um my wife and I have often talked about that where our kids have never had that kind of freedom that we had mm. I I think the fears you're talking about they'll show themselves in different ways but we all have them in some way they do come from love mm. I think the struggle I've always had is you you constantly want your kids to be independent but actually you also want to teach them their own inadequacy that they might depend only on the lord jesus so it's a you know that these are the tensions in parenting um i think i think the fear of my kids not being saved i think is and feeling responsible for that i think the number of times as a parent i thought boy we've made a mess of this mm. i mean we tried family prayers and we persevered with it all through there you know until they were um at the end of secondary school when they were you know more their own bosses as it were although we always prayed with them um but it hardly ever worked you know if you had if you had one good day out of 10 you were doing well it was always chaos one of them always you know made a stupid noise or kicked their sister under the table or said something cheeky it always worked but looking back they all say oh no dad you it was good we you know they don't, they don't complain about what we did um at all um i think we made more i think sorry this may be wrong I think you make more mistakes with your first child than the other ones. I think you become slightly less precious. Number three, you just stick in the corner, Shane, and let them go on with it, you know? <laughs> and, um, you know, it, hey, we're all of us are complex people. And and I think, I think it was J.C. Ryle said that um, children are sent by God to sanctify us because we discover there's someone in the world who's more selfish than us. <laughs> and I think he's right. That actually I've often found when I've seen my children's sins as they're growing up, actually, even as I start to try and tell them off or, you know, correct them or help them, I'm suddenly thinking, but that's exactly how I treat God. <laughs> and, and so actually they are used because they're part. And that's then that. So, so even what we've been talking about, Shane, about your fears and that, well, Hang on, the bigger picture is God is sovereign even over your fears. And he's using those fears and helping you to deal with them to make you more like Christ. Amen. So it, it helps us to have that bedrock confidence in the sovereignty of God, um, which means he doesn't make mistakes even in whatever it is that has wired us so that we have the kind of fears that we have. I mean, I'm finding this kind of, I, I just love talking to folk who have different experiences from me because you sort of, you suddenly, oh, right, okay, I hadn't thought of that. Mm. And that's what's happened in this conversation, which is why we have to have these kind of conversations. Yeah. Um, I think as pastors, we need this kind of conversation too. So it helps us to understand the folk we're, we're, we're speaking to. Mm. Um, 
I'm off target again, aren't I, Ian? But sorry about that. <laughs> it's been brilliant. It's been really encouraging. Uh, may as well be happy that I've shed a tear because I've not done that for a while. So he's probably one of five or something. Always do when you speak to me. Is it my fault? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, I, I'd like to blame the fact that it was I was raised fatherless, but I think I've I've just always been a big baby. He cried. <laughs> so the best thing was the other day. Hannah had, had been at work, she's she's working in the hospital and she was talking about how she'd seen a man crying and she'd never seen a man cry before. <laughs> and Rachel said, what about your dad? She was like, oh, he doesn't count. <laughs> what, as a man? <laughs> yeah, awesome. Oh, this has been fantastic. Hopefully we can chat again. This has been, I could, I could go on all day, but I do think it's very helpful for, uh, for people working with people like me and Shane, but also for people like, me and Shane who were working out trusting God, really. I think that's one of the things that uh, was my biggest struggle was the person you should be able to trust the most was your father. And you ended up not being able to trust him. So you only trust yourself. Trust uh, within my wife. Trusting my wife was difficult. Trusting my friends, trusting the pastor's advice and trusting God. So although I see him as a perfect father, trusting him to start with was difficult. Uh, the more I understood his sovereignty, I knew he could be trusted, but I didn't like what I was trusting because, uh, like a good father, he also disciplines. And that was one of the things that, that made it difficult to trust. Whereas I used to like people who uh, didn't discipline. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, just before we go quickly, uh, how have you been able to trust the discipline of God, a God who disciplines Shane? experience so we, we were talking a, a lot about i think it was jonathan that was saying we tend to teach things and we've done a sermon on it so people will get it but it's actually showing your lives and i think we we always read about god's discipline and how he lovingly disciplines us but i know that i've been in instances in my christian walk where i've sinned badly against someone or i'm in a particular sin or someone might have sinned against me and I need to learn a lesson through that. And God's put me in a place where all I have is him. Mm. Um, I think about an incident a few years back where God put me in a place where I felt very alone, very scared, very afraid. And I didn't know what to do. And I knew God had put me in this place to teach me something about relying on him and to go forth and speak in bravery. And it was that experience. I mean, I've been disciplined by the Lord many a time, but I think particularly about that experience because I felt very alone and very afraid and I knew I had to say something or speak to someone about certain things. And I, and I felt I didn't have the confidence or the know-how or had know how to do it. But I knew God was with me to do that. And no matter what was going to come back at me, God would work with me and lead me through that dark path I was facing. So I really want to say... I've really understood God's discipline through my experience and how he's given me the grace, the strength and the faith in those dark places to lead me through that. Um, yeah, so it's through those experiences, really. Awesome. And thanks, Shane. And, and Johnny, have you got anything you'd like to share before we go? I think probably two things on that. Um, one, in Hebrews 12, it does talk about your father's discipline than you feel you're good as they thought fit and I think I was disciplined by my dad as I grew up 
I mean, and in those days you were allowed to slipper your kids. And boy, I remember that. I'm, I'm sure I deserved every occasion. Yeah. And I think in my context, I always knew dad loved me, but, and actually understood, even though I didn't like it, that the way he disciplined us as kids was actually because he loved us. And, and so I think that has helped. So, um, hey, the Lord's had to discipline me a lot. I think, though, that the doctrine of justification is really important in this regard. So what I mean is that I remember when our first little girl was born. She's not a little girl anymore. She's about to give birth herself. But I remember, I, I mean, I was a, I was a wreck because I, I didn't understand what was going on. My wife was a nurse, so she understood everything that was going on. And when Amy was born, she was, she was immediately whisked away by the nurse somewhere else. And she ended up in, you know, in the baby unit for a while. But I thought she was dead. I thought they'd whisked her away because there was something dramatically wrong. And, she, and I was sitting there thinking, and the first thought in my head was, well, this is the Lord disciplining me because I, you know, I don't deserve the blessing of a kid. That, that was in my head, I can assure you. I, I told my wife it was in my head. Um, and, and probably there is a kind of faulty understanding. Now, if, if that something had been wrong with our little girl or she had not lived, um, hey, yeah, that would have been part of God's loving discipline of us because the Bible says treat all hardship as discipline. The Lord is actually teaching us things. But I think, I think part of growing as a Christian is realize that it's not a straight line in that. You know, it's not I've done something wrong and therefore God disciplines me. It's more a case of he is constantly disciplining me in love because he wants to wean me off sin and make me love holiness more. He wants to stop me loving the flesh and start me living by this you know increase my living by the spirit and become like jesus and so hey i need the constant discipline of a loving father who knows what he's doing and it's the cross that convinces me that his discipline is loving that's that to me is a better so every morning i remember i am dearly loved and i am righteous in god's sight not because of my own righteousness but because of the righteousness of the one who bore the righteous wrath of God in my place. That is the bedrock of my faith. And that helps me trust our loving father's discipline because he sent his son to do that for me. Yeah, man. And what better way to end uh, this episode of the In Context podcast? Uh, I've got nothing more to say apart from, uh, I'll imagine you'd have got the slipper for that haircut, Johnny. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, My brother once was sent back to the barbers because he hadn't had a short enough haircut. <laughs>